0: good morning. I'm Daniel. Uh, If we haven't met yet, I am no longer the newest pastor on staff. (laughs) Congratulations to Jace. Now I'm the old guy, right? I've been here for four months or however long. Uh, No, but we, if we haven't met, uh, I'm Daniel. I serve with the Family Ministries, which, and I just want to thank you for being a part of this community and family. Uh, I can't say enough about our staff here and how much uh, how much honesty humility and vulnerability there is uh, among the the leaders on our staff uh, about our pastors Uh, I'm so thankful for Jace joining this team and it's not just our pastors it's it's all the way through uh, from our facilities team uh, to our directors youth pastors everything and I'm just really thankful to be a part of this team Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful to get to share with you this morning Uh, If you didn't see my message a few weeks ago, uh, I got to speak a week after my son, Cohen, was born. Yeah, so we're at five weeks now. So we'll see, you know, you can see how much hair I've lost since then. Uh, But uh, we're doing great. Cohen's doing great. You don't get a picture this week. You have to come ask to see one. It's uh, uh, a privilege. You got to come talk to me now. Uh, But I got lots. And I actually was thinking between services, I was like, you know, he got up kind of early this morning, and so I try to give my wife a break, because she's awesome. She stays up with him most of the night, and she's doing really well. But I, I try to give him a break, or give her a break in the morning. And so I got up with him this morning, and I was kind of pr- running through my message, and I put him to sleep. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's a good thing for him. I don't know if it says for you. Uh, but uh, I'm I'm excited to get to share with you this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 23, uh, starting in verse 39, and I'm just going to pray, and then we'll kind of jump into into our message this morning. Father, thanks uh, for your word. Thanks for uh, the fact that we aren't just reading words, but that we're meeting with you, Jesus, this morning. That you are the Word of Life, and uh, we pray that our hearts. And our ears and our minds would be open to what you would want to say to us this morning. Uh, We thank you that you're present with us, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. So, when we think about life, a lot of our life is consumed, or not consumed with, but is defined by symbols and stories. So, when we drive out of the parking lot here today, we're going to follow a bunch of symbols, whether we even realize it or not. Stop signs. Well, some of us follow stop signs. Uh, Traffic lights, right turn arrows, left turn arrows. Uh, When we go to the store, we're going to read labels. We're going to read something in the aisle that tells us this is the baking goods. But it's not the organic baking goods. They're somewhere else. As I found out at Fred Meyer, I can't find anything. Uh, there's, There's symbols that help us understand and navigate life, right? And I shared before that I lived in another country for for several years. And one of the things that happens when you move to another country, when they speak a different language, is all of the sudden, you become illiterate. You can't read. You can't write. uh, You can't communicate very well. And sometimes you even see words that you think you understand, but you don't. And so all of your sense of meaning kind of goes away and you have to start from scratch. Well, this creates a lot of frustration, but it also creates some funny moments too, right? And this was after I'd lived there for quite some time. I was teaching our college students, and I was telling a story, and to this day, I can't remember why I was telling a story about a guy milking a cow, but it was part of a teaching. And so I'm, I'm saying the guy's milking the cow, and all of a sudden, everyone in the room busts out into laughter and they're like crying. They're laughing so hard. I have no idea why. Like, I didn't think it was that funny that a guy milked a cow. I thought that was a normal thing. So I, after they, you know, wiped their tears off their eyes, I asked them, so what did I say? They said, well, you, you used the word koit and you were supposed to use the word doit. Uh, inadvertently, I had said, The man was breastfeeding the cow, (laughs) so close but not quite. (laughs) Uh, It happens sometimes. We get our we get our meanings a little bit off. Uh, As as someone who wears contacts and eyeglasses too, often I uh, if I don't have them on, I misrecognize something. Right, it's dark. And I see something, I think it's one thing, and I'm completely wrong, because I'm really blind. Uh, and, and we make snap judgments when we see things. If I see someone pushing a, a shopping cart down the street and maybe looking a little shabby, shabbily dressed, I automatically think something, whether I want to or not, right? If I see somebody driving a nice car, wearing nice clothes, I think something, whether I want to or not. I make a judgment. If I see someone on the golf course who's got really nice clothes and really nice clubs, I think he's got a lot of money. Not that he's a good golfer. Uh, we, we do this in life all the time. We look at something and, and we kind of make a decision based on the outward symbols that we're, we're experiencing. And this is no different uh, about our worldviews. There's stories and images that define our worldview. And as Christians... I think there has been, there is really one central defining image. And we've become very used to it, right? It's, it's jewelry. It's, uh, it's everywhere. And it's a symbol of the cross. And actually, uh, the symbol of the cross is, is critical to our faith. But sometimes we don't really think about the depth of what it means and what, what took place there. And so this morning... Uh, our big idea has to do with with the cross. And it's this. When we encounter the cross, we face two challenges. One is the challenge of Jesus. Who is he? And the other is the challenge of self. Who am I? And I think today's text really defines these two challenges and shows us the opposite reactions we can have to them really clearly in a very short text. Uh, so, again, it's Luke chapter 23, verses 39 to 43. Just to set the context a little bit, uh, Jesus has come to the end of his ministry. He's taught about the kingdom of heaven. He's healed the sick. He's cast out demons. He's, he uh, is taught about loving your neighbor. And now, after challenging the religious status quo, they've decided it would be better if he was gone. And so they, they've... Uh, led him away to be crucified, but we're told that he isn't crucified by himself, that he's crucified in between two thieves. And so today's text really looks at what was the conversation look like between Jesus and these two criminals. Uh, so verse, starting in verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. So Messiah was Savior, or the one who was going to save Israel. But the other criminal rebuked him. "'Don't you fear God,' he said, "'since you are under the same sentence. "'We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. "'But this man has done nothing wrong.' Then he said, "'Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom.' Jesus answered him, "'Truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise.'" When, when we encounter the cross the first question or challenge that we have to face is who is Jesus and I think often in our uh, in our world it's easy to distance ourselves from the cross right it's it's something way in the past we haven't seen it uh, close up we believe that it happened we believe uh, that Jesus died this way but we didn't have to confront it by seeing it. And these two men, they don't have a choice, right? They are right there observing Jesus dying. And not just dying, he's he's beat up before he even gets there, right? He's been beat. And the first criminal, how does he respond? He responds with a very like kind of obvious, natural way to respond to this. What a joke. This is just a man dying on a cross. You're you're supposedly a king. Here you are. You're dying just like me. All this stuff that you said about yourself. All this. Even if this criminal had seen Jesus perform some miracles. He's heard his teachings. Doesn't matter. Because this is the end, right? You're slowly dying just like me. And that would be an easy conclusion to come to, right? There, there's no evidence other than that Jesus is there dying. And and it's a conclusion that people still hold to today, right? Even if they see Jesus' death as a tragedy, they say, yeah, he he died, and that was the end of the story. He was a progressive person and in an unenlightened era, he taught about things that made people mad, and he was martyred for it. Good life that he lived, but that was the end. And actually, really, there's no ultimate meaning, right? Suffering, pain, love, joy, they don't really mean anything. Because in the end, we all face that, that same thing. We all, we all are just going to die. And there's nothing we can do about it. So the only way that those things have meaning is if they have meaning to me personally. The life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, doesn't impact that at all. And really, what to me is, is incredible about what this man is mocking is he's actually mocking grace and mercy. He hears Jesus pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he still chooses to say, what a joke your life is. Here you are, dying. All of that stuff that you're preaching, all the way that you're living, it's not worth it. You're just a dead man on a cross. He's honest, at least. I think this is an honest response. But it's not the only response what does the second criminal say at the end of verse 40 but this man has done nothing wrong and then he said jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom this reaction still boggles my mind when i read it somehow he was sitting looking at the same jesus who's hanging on the cross And he went this is not the end of jesus life and ministry this is the beginning he will overcome what he's going through right now what an amazing what an amazing step and vision that he had he didn't get to see an empty tomb he didn't have a witness say to him that they saw jesus alive he didn't experience jesus alive but he believed anyway. <laughs> he believed anyway. And I think we know that part of this is if we were to read passages in Ephesians, passages in Romans, and in other places, the Spirit helps us understand truth and helps us, un- helps us open our eyes to who Jesus is. So the Spirit is at work in this moment. I think we can safely assume that. But he reaches out in faith. And says, what I see in front of me isn't all there is. And I think part of that is also his response to the second challenge of the cross. And that's the question or challenge of, who am I? The first criminal, what kind of self-evaluation does he do at this moment? Pfft, nothing, right? Immediately he starts pointing at Jesus. Which is, which is kind of ironic it's like they're both in the same place, right? He's mocking Jesus, "Hey, look at you, you're dying on a cross." What's this guy doing? He's dying on a cross too, isn't he? Pot kettle, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's almost absurd. It would be like maybe there's a rope hanging out over a big cliff or canyon and there's two guys hanging onto the rope and somebody cut, starts cutting the rope. And the guy that's higher up on the rope looks down and starts laughing and mocking the guy below him. You're going to hit the ground first. (laughs) What do they both do? They're both not going to make it, right? They're both going to go splat. It's, It's almost absurd that here he is, unwilling to look at himself. I would rather mock Jesus and say how poor your life is ending than look at myself. And yet I understand that. It's not easy to look inside, right? It's not easy to observe, where have my decisions led me? Where is my life taking me right now? I think we're experts at that in our, in our current culture. We have, excuse me, all kinds of reasons for the way we are. You know, if I hadn't grown up with X person as a parent, if this hadn't happened to me at school when I was a kid, if I'd gotten this job, if I had these skills, then I wouldn't be the way I am today. If if all these things had gone right in my life, or we just are looking at entertainment, right? I don't have to evaluate what's going on inside because I spend all my time watching TV, or there's other vices we can fall into that uh, are addictions that lead us uh, away from ever having to evaluate ourselves. And part of the challenge of that is we all have inside of us, a sneaking suspicion that something is wrong. A seeking suspicion that I'm not okay. There's kind of guilt and shame that's there that there's something wrong with me. I'm not enough. And, and it's easier to try and, and hide that and put it away, look at others, blame others, become bitter than it is to stop and say, what's going on with me? This man doesn't stop and say, hmm, the decisions in my life have led me to a place I didn't want to go. What do I think about that? No, he, he just turns. He turns away from himself and looks and mocks Jesus. But again, that's not the only reaction. How does the second criminal respond? It's not terribly complicated. He doesn't list off everything he's ever done wrong, right? He says, I'm getting what I deserve right now. My life has led me to this point. He stops and takes that crucial moment to to look inside and say, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. But he doesn't stop there either, though, does he? He then asks Jesus for mercy. And it's not a real big ask. <laughs> he just says, remember me, please, when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, think about me when you come into your kingdom. And how does, how does Jesus respond in this moment? Does Jesus say, okay, prove to me that you're really sorry. Tell me all the things that uh, theologically are correct about the Trinity, all this. No, Jesus responds by saying today you're going to be with me it's amazing maybe he went to the synagogue i don't know but he's never been to church he wasn't baptized he didn't take the lord's supper communion but jesus says you're going to be with me forever (laughs) today in paradise it's not complicated what this man said right it's not terribly complicated but it's hard because there's a few things he had to do. One was recognize, who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? Is he only what I see in front of me, or is there more? When he heard Jesus forgiving those who had done him wrong, when he saw Jesus be silent in the face of accusations, there's something that stirred inside of him that said, I don't understand how that's possible. I don't understand how you can forgive people who would do something unjust to you. It doesn't make sense. There's more here than I understand. He says, Jesus, I know there's more to you than I understand. I believe your kingdom is starting now. And then second, he takes a look at his own heart, his own actions. And is like, wow, this has led me here. I deserve this. I don't have excuses for it. This is what I have earned. And he confesses that. And then he says, and Jesus, will you remember me? He places himself at the mercy of Jesus. Which is another thing that's hard to, for us to do, right? To put ourselves in someone else's hands. He doesn't, he doesn't have another option, right, at this moment. He's hanging on a cross. There's really nothing he can do to earn Jesus' favor all he has to do, all he can do is say, I, I'm in your hands. And I think what, part of what he demonstrates to us is that he sees beyond what's right in front of him. He sees beyond this present moment. I think we're consumed with the present moment. Am I able to purchase that thing that I want? Am I having fun right now? What, what is happening to me right now? Am I getting the job that I want? And so we become consumed with these things. And when those things don't work out, we move on to the next thing. We become discontent. And we don't have a perspective that goes beyond into, even into eternity, right? Our hearts are focused on the here and now. And what does that do to us? It gives us a Jesus that ends at the cross. We put our hope in things that are here right now. And there's so much more. <laughs> I believe this man shows us, this second criminal shows us there's so much more than that. Uh, one one particular way in which I experienced this in my own life, because I, I like things too. I like living for the present moment, and I have to stop often and confess, man, I've been living for myself. I've been living for this. I haven't been living in light of of the future. And one of those moments was uh, a few years after my wife and I got married. We've been trying to have kids for a while, and we got pregnant. I don't know how many of you remember those moments uh, when the wife tells the husband that first moment that I'm pregnant. In most cases, I think almost in all, it's a pretty cool moment, right? My wife set me up. She, uh, she brought out a gift and said, somebody gave you a gift. And uh, inside of it was baby clothes. And she's like, I wanted to record it, to send it to the friend, whatever. So she's recording this whole thing. And what happened to me, I just started crying crying. I just started bawling, and I'm like, you better lock that video up and never show it to anyone. <laughs> She's going to pull it out someday. Uh, but I just remember how overwhelmed with, with happiness uh, I was. And then I went through something different about eight or nine weeks later when we lost the baby. The pain of that was almost more than the joy of finding out, right? And, and I was feeling devastation. And I was feeling loss. That was all I could see. It didn't make sense. Why would God give us such a beautiful gift and then allow it to be taken away? Many of you have gone through the loss of a, of a pregnancy or, or even of a loved one even more traumatic in some ways. And, and you're stuck at this moment of wondering Why? What, what is going on here? And a couple of days later, as I was wrestling with this, I was praying in my office. And, and I felt Jesus come to me. And this was not, he wasn't saying any of this in a judging way. He, it was so loving. He came to me and said, I understand your loss. Are you okay with your child being with me? Is there a better place that your child could be right now than with me? And, and I had to say, no. All of a sudden, he opened my eyes to, my child is with Jesus. And he's going to be with them, doing much better than me forever. And that one day, I will get to meet that child. Now, it didn't take all the sorrow away, by any means, but it There was something about it that healed me, knowing that the loss wasn't the end of the story. Jesus' death isn't the end of the story. His life is the continuation of the story that's just beginning. I don't know how that criminal saw that. It's amazing to me. But this is what the Bible teaches happens when we are at the cross. When we are, when we are right next to it, when we when we actually come to it, we actually face it, we aren't facing some caricature of it or some distant teacher Jesus, but the Jesus who is at the cross. There's two reactions we can have. One, to laugh at it, really to say grace and mercy. Are meaningless because it all ends anyway it all ends in death that's the honest response <laughs> or we can say this Jesus is who he said he was yeah. this Jesus is the king <laughs> and his kingdom is beginning right here and right now right. and we're going to be able to live with him forever There isn't a third option. <laughs> we have this opportunity to come to a king whose life goes beyond what we're experiencing in the present moment. Right. And it changes us. It changes how we live today, right? <laughs> Those things that we're holding on to aren't nearly as important as, they, as we thought they were even even some relationships uh there's been some times where there's been broken relationships in my life even those relationships Jesus will heal because it's not only this moment (laughs) and I hold on to that in faith because I believe that the separation and the brokenness is not the end of the story Uh, in, in just a moment we're going to have an opportunity to celebrate that to celebrate grace and mercy being the victors through Jesus and not death and destruction. We're going to come to the table where we're reminded that Jesus gave it all on our behalf. Uh, this week of, of Thanksgiving I was reminded I went to men's Roundup a little while ago and there was a there was a worship uh, musician that they brought in and he shared like a song that he'd written recently with us and, and it reminded me that I don't have to know what the future is because he goes with me. <laughs> and I just loved the way he put it in that song. The song is called The Best is Yet to Come if you want to listen to it. Uh, when he goes with us we don't have to know what the future is because we know he already gave it all on his on our behalf and so we get to celebrate that as we come to the table Uh, and we're going to spend some time worshiping as well and responding to that great sacrifice that Jesus made and during that time there'll also be an opportunity to give as a response of worship if you feel led Uh, but I'm going to pray and then we'll we'll come into communion and into worship. Jesus, I thank you that the cross was not the end of the story. Uh, I thank you uh, that you loved <laughs> despite our rejection and despite our hate. In uh, that there's something beyond the difficulty and death that we face. <laughs> there's life. And we can find life in you. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet with you today uh, to find that life. And uh, we pray as we come to the table that you would remind us of who you are and of your love for us. And it's your name we pray. Amen.